Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to New Books in Performing Arts, part of the New Books Network. I'm Andy Boyd. Today I'm speaking with Sylviana Wood about her book of plays, Barrio Dreams. A quick note before we begin. Sylviana is hard of hearing and uses a transcription program for phone calls. As a result, the sound quality is a bit lower on this episode, and there's a slight delay between my questions and her answers. Sylviana, welcome to the program. Okay, so. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm a little mixed up here and a little confused, but that's normal, okay? And I hadn't been out of my house since March 13th with a virus. I'm very glad you're doing this, and, and I wish you the best, okay? Thank you. How did you first become involved with theater? Well, okay, right now I'm going to tell you I do jump around with chronological order in places. Um, a long time ago, uh, I was living in Salinas, California, and I was in high school, and I, book, I wrote a book report for K-Mutiny, and the teacher at the bottom wrote, have you considered creative writing? Because I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to go into a political speech, but when, when, when I was a student and everybody else I knew, the, the classes were always focused on grammar and punctuation. Even today, I hardly find any, any creative writing for young kids and high school kids. So after she said, wrote that, I went and signed up for creative writing. And then, and then I signed up for a little drama class there. I was a senior by then. And uh, then later, 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 I started at Hartnell College and um, it was essay writing. But the teacher there, too, said, you know, this could become plays. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> because in the drama, we, we, we were handed the script. We didn't improvise. But when she, this second teacher told me, you know, uh, that I had a, a good imagination <laughs> because uh, I invented a lot. So she says, okay, you should be uh, turning these into plays. Because I said, okay, so that got me started. Is that enough? That's great. Who are some of your inspirations as a young playwright? Let me, let me, um, okay. As a young playwright, well, by then I'm young. <laughs> there was nothing when I was a young one, okay? Nothing. Nothing at all as far as uh, writing plays or producing plays or acting, okay? So as a young person, I didn't have that. What happened was as the years went, well, went, 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 you know, in the Movimiento Chicano got started with Luis Valdez, and, and then there was Tenaz, that's uh, Teatros Nacionales de Aslan, and they had conferences and workshops and speakers. And uh, I met uh, at a workshop, this is Mexico's uh, leading playwright, his name is what? Emilio Carballido, and we had lots of talks on, on the elements, and, and the, the best advice he gave me, he, I said, he said to me, okay, if you want to be a writer, you have to write. <laughs> I said, oh, great. <laughs> okay. And then when, um, when he, I was translating for him at some of the workshops, 
from his family. So that was one of them. I think I've had inspiration from everybody that I walked. There was one teacher at, um, no, there was a, another teacher at uh, Creative Writing said the same thing. Um, this, I tell every single person, and I'll tell it to you too. <laughs> You have to view the world and go out in the world as a writer, and you have to use your five senses and uh, and, and just just put yourself into the imagination. And, and you can't teach imagination, okay? When I was a little girl in in elementary, I was a, always a very fast reader, and I would put my finger on the page and daydream. And what and uh, and then one of the things that um, the teacher would do, she'd send me to the library. <laughs> And that was that was for me was the best. And then um, one one thing you know, memory is crazy. I went to a a, a movie in Spanish, but there was only a dime. I couldn't afford the dime. And all I remember now, maybe seventy years later, the story, the play, the movie ended with a stagecoach in the mud driving off, and this letter fell, and the stagecoach wheels. Stop, stopped on it, and that was the end of the movie. So that asked me, like, oh, what happened? <laughs> what was the letter for? What was it? I still don't remember, but I, it's stuck in my brain that, that that I could continue something. You know, that just that envelope in the mud. I never wrote about it, but I'm, I'm saying that that was enough for me to, to think more, hey, I can invent something from just that envelope. So that's it, me home. Um, could you talk a little bit more about your involvement with the Movimiento Chicano? The Chicano movement? Are you like, okay. Uh, yes. Well, I told you when I was in Salinas, I knew nothing, nothing about boycotts, nothing. Moved to, moved to Tucson, and there was a, a very, very strong group of some of my friends that, that I knew back in elementary school. And they were, there was what we call the El Rio struggle. Because it was a very fancy um, golf course company, whatever, and uh, we were saying that the neighbors, the neighboring barrios, the kids didn't have swimming pools, didn't have movies, didn't have anything, not even any grass to go. So we did this huge, huge. I wasn't a leader. I just went because they would tell me to go to the meetings. So right now I'm going to tell you. I don't think I'm an activist. I think I'm a storyteller, okay? And I would just go to all these things and, and, and see these things happening. And uh, it took a lot of work. It took a lot of work, a lot of meetings. And then finally, finally, we ended up with a, a park, a neighborhood center. The neighborhood center has a library, daycare, uh, performing area, and uh, meals, and a lot of goodies. I'm probably leaving some out, but uh, but then other other parts of Tucson also got their their centers, but they didn't have to go through the struggle that that the El Rio group did. And I, I'm still very friends with my 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 <laughs> my boycotters. We were we were actually just marching with signs and saying that we needed that for the kids, and we did get it. But I don't have the the dates, okay. They did film us right and left, <laughs> and they were arrested. And then by that time, we started marching over to the U of A also because of other issues. And then uh, little by little, I got involved just because they would call me. Like, we wanted bilingual education. 
um, especially beginning at elementary, and we wanted uh, services for the elderly, like the buses. And so all of that is what, what was part of me here in Tucson. And then um, my brothers and I and some friends, we wanted to do some skits just for entertainment, okay, so at these meetings. And then I, that's when I met Barkley Goldsmith, and he, he, he ended up forming uh, – Teatro Libertad, and he asked me to be part of that, and I went to that. Previous to that, we had Teatro Pueblo. Basically, what we were doing, we were doing, we couldn't find scripts, so we started to do Luis Valdez's actos, which had to do with the farm workers and strikes, and we were giving it at churches and meetings and and uh, passing out leaflets, and so that's. Um, and then Penaz uh, uh, formed later, later, I don't know the years, um, like an umbrella group of all these uh, teatros throughout the USA and some in Mexico. And some of them came into the, to the festivals and we saw plays. I ended up, <coughs> excuse me, I ended up at, at, uh, at the city, uh, at, um, in Mexico City. And Luis Valdez's group performed a play there at, at the pyramids. They marched in, and all of that was very impressive. And I said, uh-oh. So and they did a, a whole a play on the Chicano. And, but I'm telling you, Andy, I was very green. I didn't know anything about Chicano. I didn't know anything about activism. But, uh, but uh, I did know that, that we needed to support the farm workers. <laughs> Back to Steinbeck. <laughs> okay, dear, does that answer? Yes, definitely. Did you think of your plays as a form of activism? Okay. Did you, let me see. Well, you see what happens, and that that has to do with your writing uh, elements, okay, for playwriting. I focus on the character first. You know, that's it. I'm going to develop my character. And I develop him through the dialogue, how he reacts to other people and their personality and their actions and all of that. I'm never thinking of activism. It just starts working itself in, and it's very mild. It's not, you know, like, oh, I'm going to go protest and, and do all these things. The workers, I'm, I focus more on the workers not the workers, my character's feelings about things. And uh, one, one teacher, Emilio, my friend, he said, don't worry and, 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 uh, about themes. He says that things have a way of working in like, like worms, and they're going to come in and, and, and work their way through the character and the plot. So that's what I do. I really don't start out saying this is about blah, blah, blah. This is about discrimination. This is about immigration. No, I don't start like that. I start, okay, this is, my, this is my guy. He just landed and we're looking for work. He has a little paper, and, and that's what I proceed. Okay, so anyway, <coughs> that's about it. All of your plays use oh, English and... Something funny when okay. you ask that. My, my teacher, Emilio, he, he became my friend, and we, did his, we brought his place to Tucson, and um, he passed away about mm, 209. Anyway... He says, because people will say, why do you write that? And how do you write that? And how do you get, what makes you write? He said, you know what? He said, tell them this story. <laughs> uh, I think that word in English is centipede. You know that little animal, the little um, insect that has a lot of feet? Okay, centipede. He says, this centipede would go across the town, and one of the persons stopped him and, and, and asked the centipede, 
Okay, how do you how do you make your your all your legs move at the same time and you and and then the centipede says starts to explain. He says, first I move this one, then I bring the other one behind, then I move the second one, and, and then and then the the centipede tripped over his feet and fell, and then and then and then the worker says, okay. Never ask a centipede how he walks. <laughs> so that's what Emilio says. Um, I think every every writer develops their own uh, manner and style. I like to give advice, and I'm the most undisciplined person. Okay, I, I keep telling people, well, right, start with a scenario and 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 schedule your time. I don't do that. What I the way I work is I take very long walks. I can walk 20 miles if I feel like it, and um. It's what I called uh, <laughs> germinal idea. Something comes to my mind, and and then I keep developing it as I walk. I don't I don't write in longhand ever. So then I, 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 when I do come home, I might make a little note and I just I just mark it marinating. <laughs> Something's marinating. I'm working on a beer can collector, so he's marinating right now. <laughs> because when I walk, I see the cans of beer, and then I get this. I'm not a drinker. I pick up the can and I read all these new things, Michelado, Michel something, and, and Camaro and all this. So my, I'm working on him. He's and, and he's gonna, he's an old man, and it's a it's a love triangle with the, the neighbor and the mechanic and and the woman that they both love. So that's germinating. All of your plays use both English and Spanish, and and some even use other languages like Yaqui. What made you decide to write your plays bilingually? I felt that there was an audience need for my audience members to see themselves on stage, and then I wanted to be realistic. All my my actors that are bilingual were super good, and uh, I think that, uh, well, you know, because when we were in school, we were forbidden to speak Spanish, and later maybe they developed bilingual classes, but I don't think, uh, I write write for... um, I write, but my, uh, somebody that speaks only English told me, oh, we understood completely because your actors did the actions. You know, there's a lot of pantomime, facial expressions, movement. So if I ask you, do you want some coffee? If I ask you in Spanish, do you want coffee? And you answer me, no, I hate coffee. I could do that in the, in the two languages. When I said, would you like coffee? She would say, no, I hate coffee. Throw the cup to the floor, get up, make a face. So see... So that that works good. Um, my uh, what I was saying about the, relating to the characters on stage. My main objective is okay. I want you to see yourselves. I want you to see your relatives. I want you to see everybody you know up on stage. And it happens when I when I finally finish, somebody will walk up and say, "You know what? That was my aunt." Oh, you know what? That was my grumpy grandfather. And so that's what—that's really the, the thrill for me. The actors breathe, you breathe my lines, and then the audience connects to that. Okay, I love that. I love. Okay, mijo. <laughs> you need a—you need a cane to, to. No, you need a tape over my mouth. Okay, mijo. No, this is great. You're, you're, this is fantastic. Um, your play, Once in a Barrio of Dreams, is a collection of three one-act plays. Why did you write the play in this way? Okay. 
Oh, I see what you're saying there. What happened was I, I was teaching uh, Barclay Goldsmith, got me a class at Pima College, uh, and we were just calling it Teatro Chicano or Chicano Theater, and my actors did not have scripts. There's, there's, if, you, if I get on the soapbox, we couldn't find any scripts for them to be to be using, and, and you know, so... I, what, I would gather them in a circle and just discuss current events, things from the past, stories that I knew. So then somebody says, well, why don't you write them down so we can have them? And um, so my very first work with them was I did the stories from the barrio, which was, you know, the ghost stories and all. And then different things developed. And then I had the, the three act the three actos, and we, we, we started giving them at different places. The students became a group. They called, they called themselves Teatro Chicano. And uh, one time we even took took this one that you're talking about, the three actors. We took him to Phoenix, and so um, that's the only reason. No, no. Uh, and I do think uh, one act plays are really good for kids, for the libraries, for, uh, and you know they're quick. And you could have a you could have a dinner, you could have a a meeting of something or other, and and end with a play. So, uh, and I don't know. Well, Luis Valdez had shorter ones. Yeah, he he had the actos. He was calling them actos, and it it involved uh, the farm workers' struggle. And I think that gave me an idea, saying, okay, I could do one act plays with the actors. And sometimes the the actors would actually give me more ideas, you know, because some uh, these, some of these uh, one of some of these one act plays somehow back in my university years. I wrote research papers, very boring ones, on uh, some of the folklore. Oh, I had a class in folklore, and then I had, um, I, had to, I had I wrote a thing on tamales and things like that. And but you know, a research paper doesn't stir anybody. <laughs> so that so but they they can become a one act. Some of those things. So I I I, I do encourage people to start with a one act play. Your playwriting style is very theatrical, and you mix comedic and tragic elements. How did you develop your style? Okay, we're back to comic and tragic. How did I develop this style? Uh, when I said that you have to de- work with your senses, I th- and here I am uh, with hearing loss, but I did a lot of uh, eavesdropping <laughs> when I'm on the bus and I, I hear all these things. and. <clears throat> Some of the, well, I think this is personal. I think that that the two elements, uh, comic and tra- tragic, are together. You know, like when you see a theater mask, drama, I mean, you know, humor and uh, tragedy. And uh, I think that, oh, because I was doing TV work as a character that was very humorous. <laughs> and I, I developed that from my mom. My mom my mom was the sweetest person, uh, and she could... Uh, just talk about everything. Oh, and she, and she could sing. So anyway, uh, as, as part of, uh, I think it's a, it's a balance. Uh, I, I think we need I think we need uh, the comic, you know, uh, especially right now with the virus. You know, I I think that, oh, and I'm saying you know too much. Anyway, uh, I think it's slowly developed. I think that I'm a, a ham. Okay, I I I, <laughs> I like to perform. I'm a very shy person, believe it or not very shy that you put me somewhere that I have to talk and, and, and do a comedy, uh, I'll do it. It's just my style. And, 
a lot of uh, hand movements and faces. I, I'm the best face maker. <laughs> so, uh, and I still, I still, uh, another, another uh, influence was the movies again from Mexico with Cantinflas. He was the greatest wordsmith. I call him a wordsmith. And, um, and some of the other guys there in the Mexican movies, uh, I don't remember too many of the of the other movies, but uh, I think I think when 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 you write something, I'm I'm not writing it. When I'm writing it, I'm not thinking right now, right that minute. Okay, this is funny. This is it. Just kind of rolls around and decides to be funny. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> but I you wrote one my style. By seeing and hearing and, and seeing other people. So that's, that's it. And besides me wanting to be an actor. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm reading. You wrote one. Uh, one character, Mrs. Martinez, who is a shut-in. What inspired you to create that character? Okay, let me read. Oh, yes. Okay. Even now, this this relates to the virus uh, crisis. I'm walking. I, I walk four miles every morning, and people are not coming out. But back when I was little, a little girl in Barranita, my my grandmother. There was a man. The landlord lived in a trailer, and then that character that I developed later, uh, Nacho, he lived in the like a, the garage, and he was very poor. I'll, we'll get to that one later, but. Um, I'm seeing, um, in those days, my my grandmother would send me with plates of food just, just because she wanted to. But now, in, in these days, you know, they're stressing mental health, all these things, physical health, everything with the virus. And it's 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 very sad because the, the, we can't have that communication with a person unless it's phone or with you. <laughs> and uh, But then the other thing is that uh, besides getting you know, the effects of non-conversation, um, people are glued to the to the computer. <laughs> you know what I feel about the computer. But anyway, the, the shut-in, that lady that I, I developed, uh, Senora Martinez, she was more or less still grieving. And, and um, it, it, there's a lot of people that don't speak about what they're grieving. And so um, I, I wanted her to to have a friend with a militante. So um, it's really hard for me to, to tell you how I create a character. It's crazy. We have a bread pudding in this area uh, in parts of Mexico all over that's called a capirotada. It's during Lent. Every person has a different recipe. Everybody throws in everything they can think of. So, so that's what I think, that when you're a writer, <laughs> you throw in everything you want and throw out and and put it to bake. Okay, Mijo? Yeah, that's great. You also wrote a play uh, dealing with the issue of Alzheimer's and someone who has to care for their mother. Uh, my my mom, right? Uh, my mom could sing, and even when her memory was going, she could still sing songs from World War II, like Stardust and all of these. And uh, and in the play, I I work with memories and and the trouble for the, the daughter, Consuelo. Okay, mijo. But, yeah, it is based on my mom. Great. Was that difficult for you to write about such a personal subject? Well, uh, what happened was, uh, <laughs> it's funny. Um, 
I had already, uh, I was writing it in bits and pieces, like I tell you, I would visit mom, then I would visit my my other brothers and sisters, and we would try to get mom to talk, and and then I invented stuff. In the place, uh, she she goes to Veracruz. That's not true. I went to Veracruz, and then I said, uh-huh, I'm going to place her as a young woman, and my play ends with her uh, remembering that memory as as she's sitting there, and I have two young persons come out and dance, and and, and we see the lady just immersed in her memories, and because um, we don't know what the memories are in, in that. And, and I I wanted um, I think I I think I had uh, yeah I had I had some actors as part of the Teatro Chicano, and uh, we had a reading, but we couldn't find. We couldn't find money to produce it. But then I got the call from Jorge Piña, a super good friend of mine at Guadalupe Culture Center in San Antonio. He says, ah, we have some money for a playwriting and residence, and can you come and give me a title? And I said, okay. <laughs> and so he produced it. Oh, and then they took it to New York, to the Bronx, for one of those festivals. Um, that was a super experience. They flew us there. It was a, a, a you know, when I say a Tenaz Festival uh, in the Bronx, uh, a whole bunch of groups came to perform. So we performed Amor de Hija there. And it was great. It was great. And like I said, it was before the, the, the word Alzheimer's came about. Now it's bandied. But uh, I don't say the word, but I read and read and read and read and read. Um, this is another advice I give to writers. A lot of people say, write about what you know. I go, uh-uh. Start with what you don't know and then start searching for that. And that's how I, I started with uh, Alzheimer's. I didn't know anything. So I started reading and reading and reading about memory loss and the brain, and and <laughs> I'm still mixed up. <laughs> okay, but that's what um, that's really what works because if you don't know something, like – I was in Oaxaca. I had never heard that music, and it ends up in my play. You know, I said, oh, now I know this music. Here in the border, we just know mariachis and enchiladas, and I'm saying, nope, there's lots to Mexico, which, okay, mijo, I want to stop, but it it was difficult, but I still had my mom, and uh, so I was, it wasn't that sad until way later when it really got super great. When I was writing about her, it was just the beginning, and they explained that some of the memory loss, it comes from different places, but some of it is very slow, slow progressive. So my mom's was slow for for, for quite a while, but um, and, and uh, but I still I still feel um, I still feel a very good feeling when I when I side performed in San Antonio because I said I kept thinking to myself. I've brought my mom back on the stage, <laughs> you know, and, and that's that's what counts as a playwright. Your characters, your your characters are breathing life to your lines. Okay, that's it. That's no other another way to explain it. Okay, that's fantastic. Uh, and then your play, uh, Yo Casimiro o Flores, incorporates elements of Aztec culture. Was okay. that something that you grew up with? Oh, Casimiro Flores. What happened was uh, I did a lot of traveling, and I'm, I'm the kind that winds up in a museum, okay? In Oaxaca, I ended up with Benito Juarez uh, Museum, his house, and then I, I wander all over. And, um, okay, Casimiro Flores, um, 
That also was uh, Jorge Pina calling me and saying he had, uh, like, by national, by something, grant money. And we had to team up the different disciplines. So I was a playwright person. We had to write a, a, a description of what we wanted to do. It could be a, a playwright with music, a playwright with dance. So you know what I mean. And so I, I, I ended up getting it. And my, my writer friend was Raul Gonzalez Guzman from Monterey, and he was a composer. So then uh, he, and then we studied, and uh, Jorge went and found somebody that knew more of uh, the, the culture, the Yaqui culture and the dance. And uh, the Yaquis have a very famous dance called uh, the Deer Dancer. And, and you need permission, and they gave me permission. So, so that's basically um, the uh, Aztec... Uh, Culture, well, because I was dreaming up things, and I think I got Mitlantecutli uh, as the first the god of the dead, and I said, eh, I like that. <laughs> so, uh, so the whole the whole plot is the is the janitor has to take four bodies over to the the Aztec heaven. I had no idea, and then I I said, okay, I'm gonna put characters like Antinflas, La Llorona, and uh, it's, it's it, it was a very interesting. Uh, Oh, because I could, I could, I could put um, a little note for Raúl, my 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 music uh, composer, and and I would just say something. I, I said I need some music for the dream. I need some music for crossing the the border, and I so that's what did it. I didn't focus that much on the real aspect, except that Mitlantecutli, the the god, shows up with a janitor and tells him you have to take four bodies, and that and that was a plot. So that's it, mijo. But now I'm studying it. <laughs> now that I'm studying the pyramids, now I'm in the Aztec, Mayas, Toltecas, Olmecas, and um, we didn't get to this word, but in, in the Mexica. But in my political work, I never knew that I was a Chicana, okay? I never knew I was an activist, a Chicana activist. I still don't. I'm a storyteller. But um, but a lot of uh, a lot of the things, again, that we don't know enough about. I, I was wondering in the pyramids over there at, in the Yucatan area, and and uh, so uh, I back to I didn't I didn't know anything about the Aztec cult. I okay when I was a student, even at the beginning of elementary, we knew nothing about Mexico. We were not taught anything about Mexico. If we were taught something, it was uh, Pedro goes to the market on a burro. Oh, so that's all I knew. And then I, I did take trips to Nogales with my relatives, and I was in love. <laughs> they called me gringa. They called me gringa because my Spanish was very bad. It still is. It's still bad. But uh, but Nogales had uh, a lot of lot of things that just fascinated me. I, I'm just a city nut. And then my my uncle would say, "Go go bring some water from the well." And I would, I, you know, I, I would put that pail down and come up with the water. And then he had pigs, and they made cheese. And I just loved going to Mexico. But but I'm still complaining. We did not know anything. And it's somehow in Mexico, somebody would say, would uh, correct me. Well, don't you know this and this and the revolution? Don't you know this and that? Nope. But I'm gonna learn. So that's what I was doing. I did a lot of tours uh, all these years. I'm missing a few states. But from Oaxaca, I got that play. And then uh, Sonora has, comes in there with Adelos uh, uh, for Oaxaca because you have to cross part of Sonora. Anyway, like I said, it's, it's a capirotada. You throw in everything. Okay, mijo. 
I do want to uh, stress two things. Uh, the one about the, the uh, let me see. I, I made notes and then I, I, I got them all mixed up. Uh, oh, you're saying surreal imágenes. Uh, but the characters and this. So where did I get the idea? Okay, this was very easy. Okay, my my grandmother, and I have it written down somewhere. And uh, she says, when you really, really are close to somebody and they leave you, their spirit stays with you. Your play, A Drunkard's Tale of Melted Wings and Memories, explores the lives of several World War II veterans living in poverty in Tucson. What inspired you to write this play? Let me see. I'm, I'm about the third line down, and it says uh, World War II veterans and the poverty. I didn't focus on the poverty. What I wanted was that drunkard Nacho, who doesn't want anybody to forget that those 17 men won the Medal of Honor, you know, and that's what he stresses as he's drinking, says, you don't remember them, you don't remember me. That place started, let me explain. When I tell you, when somebody says, why don't you write about this and that? I was wandering around somewhere, and this person said, why don't you write about the World War heroes? And I said, because I don't know any. I did have a, my dad's cousin was killed uh, in Europe the day, the, uh, the day before the armistice was signed, and my, my mom's brother served and he was given citizenship for serving. So I said, that's all I know. So he found me a little booklet with those names of the 17 people. And I never know how to explain this because I don't know the word demographic. But he says that's the highest number for that population of Latino, Mexicans, whatever. 17 of them won, won the Medal of Honor. And when I was in, in uh, where was I? Oh, San Antonio, I recognized the name Cleto Rodriguez, and he was on my list. And I, so I said, okay, uh, that was my, my main, uh, let me see. So I wasn't, I, was, I really didn't focus on, on the poverty, but I, I know for a fact that the veterans need a lot of medical help. They need a lot of uh, assistance. They, they need a lot of uh, help with the bureaucra bureaucratic paperwork and and they're overcrowded and you know so so that that is important but i really only knew that the, the man that li lived in a garage and then the, the the gossips would say that he was so poor that he could only eat uh dog food and that skippies was his favorite <laughs> and uh so the spirits and um i think that uh i don't know i i, I the the Back to the spirits, I think that uh, what, I, what I started doing in, in Amor de Ija and maybe some other stuff, I was working with um, flashbacks, but then I thought to myself, well, heck, I could have a flash forward. <laughs> I did invent a flash forward in some of the stuff because it's sort of like the future that we don't know. But we can, what, what uh, an imagine is uh, for me as a writer, I imagine it and I see it in my brain and I bring it out and write about it, and then the actors connect it. <laughs> okay, did that make sense? Yes, that definitely made sense. Um, okay, looks like it hopped around again. Let me see. Oh, yeah, you're <laughs> answering me. Okay, mijo, I could talk for hours because I love to do, I love to encourage writers. If I end up with anything, I want people to write, okay? What, what would be your advice to a young writer? Okay, let me read. Oh, I made sense. What would be your advice to you? Oh, that's so easy. I got that all my life, okay? 
besides, if you want to be a writer, write. Okay, that's number one. Number two, go out in the world as a writer. Use your senses. If you're at a party, look at people. Uh, drink whatever you're drinking. Talk to this person. Listen. Um, and then eavesdrop because you're going to hear a lot of stuff. And these little ideas do not have to be a complete scenario because the, denar- the scenario will develop. You could say teenager goes to her first party. You know, okay. Uh, then what happens there? Oh, I don't know. But I'll start thinking of stuff. So my advice always um, see yourself as a right. Well, not always because you need a break. <laughs> but um, and, and, and back to the five senses, we forget that there's touch. And, and I guess you can connect emotional, physical, mentally. All these things are going to create the character and the dialogue. But I'm, I'm saying don't, don't get stuck with trying to develop all of the, the timeline, the plot, the, 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 you know, all these things, um, the conflicts. I think that once, once um, oh, this is the second advice I give. Maybe the tenth. Form writers groups. I've had. I've been a member of one group for over 20 years. We meet. We have a real nice dinner or lunch. We read each other's part. Oh, we we have prompts and we write and we give. The thing there is, we insist it be positive impact. Okay, positive feedback. <laughs> and uh, and then if we want to revise it. So I would tell people. Oh, uh, the other thing that all the teachers told me all my life is. Go see plays. If you want to be a playwright, go see plays. Read plays. And, uh, that's a little harder. But uh, but back to the groups, you can have reading groups. You can be in, in libraries and, and uh, do dramatized readings. Just put out the, the scripts to, to your actors right there. And a stage manager and maybe a, music, a musician. I love music. That will liven up anything. So... Basically, I'm just saying, you want to be a writer, write. Go see the world as a writer. Number two, don't get stuck on form and structure. Those can just jumble and come together. (laughs) And the scenario, I I do advise the scenario. I don't follow it, but I do advise it because it sits you down. The other thing in... in, uh, to young writers is set up a schedule, you know, and say, okay, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to walk in and start writing this and that. Another teacher told me, when you don't have an idea, sit in front of, this was in the typewriter days, not computers, sit in front of a typewriter, stick in a, a blank pa- paper, you know, and just a page, a blank page, and sit there and sit there, <laughs> and the words are going to start coming. So you don't have to have the you don't have to have your story or play written out before you start typing. That's the other lesson, okay? And uh, I know some uh, writers do write in longhand, and some of them do um, the journal writing. <laughs> I did page one. So that's, uh, I guess, uh, based what I'm saying, basically, if it works, it works. You know, it's up to you. And uh, I found my own way it works <laughs> so far. <laughs> uh, but I have a beautiful friend, Denise Chavez. I'm going to end up with her because she just sent me a book yesterday about her. her it's an old adventure that she did rafting down the Colorado River. And she she wrote that. And uh, I, she said that to me yesterday. I got to thank her. But uh, when I'm saying ex- experience the world as a writer and then get into other things. A, a long time ago, I told somebody, I want to jump out of those uh, those 
airplanes, bungees, whatever, but I didn't do it. <laughs> but uh, and, and that experience is going to lead to something. So, uh, and it's it's a very tough world. My my struggle, I'll tell you, my struggle is my language because I do bilingual and I cannot find enough bilingual readers uh, for my manuscripts. So I was very lucky, and I do want to thank the U of A Press because they they helped me so much with corrections and whatever, with computers and whatever, and uh, and the publishing. So uh, it's still my problem because I have some short stories, and then I'm working on the my beer can collector, and so. Um, Oh, the other thing I, I do uh, advise sometimes, there's a lot of contests that are asking for for work. I, I don't do it, but I'm telling you, well, send your short story, do this and that. And um, California has a lot of those. I don't think Tucson does. But, um, but like I said, I still think that doing dramatic readings at different places, right now not with a virus, but senior citizens would love to have groups come and read to them. And then the young, um, the young students, uh, you know, you could dramatize Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and they would love it. You know, it's just, it's just a thing. You have to be involved. And we're back to this virus that's driving me crazy. So I really am a very, very grateful to you. And I'm gonna end up with my, my, my thanking, thanking my, my. My very, very good friends, Barkley Goldsmith here in Tucson, Jorge Piña at the San, the San Antonio, and then Emilio, who's gone, Emilio Calvallido, and then my family, they have always supported my work, and then uh, I think I want to thank everybody in the world that, that I meet and, and smile. I'm a smiling person, <laughs> and uh, and they give me ideas, uh, so I'm thanking the whole world, okay? And uh Eventually, when um, I think Borderlands is going to to do a reading of uh, Amor de Hija, eventually I'm praying that it gets produced here in Tucson and in the world. Okay, <laughs> so thank you, Andy, and I do want to thank you. I know I talk too much, so you can cut me out. Okay. No, no, no. This was great, Silviana. Thanks so much for being on the program. <laughs>